This is Mind Booster Podcast. In times like these, we need a mind booster. Listen to yours truly, Vanessa Osborne, sharing with you today how we sometimes grade God based on unanswered or failed prayers. We give God a failing grade like F is in Frank if our prayers are not answered as we expect. Let's find out what the Bible says about failed prayers. And I love how Jesus Christ, uh, excellent uh, teacher, professor, God, man, and he moves on and teaches his disciples how to hold it together and what's really important when you look at Beatitudes. You said a Beatitude, an interesting term they gave that. Of course, the term Beatitudes is not in the Greek scripture. It's the term they given in the Latin. Uh, translation for happy and blessed, and the terminology I used was fortunate, because uh, by definition, uh, it means fortunate, being blessed, happy. In the King James Version, it says happy. So we're going to go over, uh, we're going to start this series on what are Beatitudes, and we're going to look at how they affect the early Christian's life and what it means to us today. So if you look at, again, the Beatitudes, that you have in the circle, and we have poor, poor in spirit, those that mourn, the humble, and, and the people that are mourn are people that are drained in life circumstances. They down the down and out, if you will. And the humble really it says the meek, those that are modest and not boastful, those that hunger for righteousness' sake. The peacemaker is a person that's in self-control. The pure in heart is a person that's unpolluted, clean. They're transparent, honest type person. Merciful is someone that's forgiven persecuted for righteousness sake. So these comprise the eight uh, demonstrated by Jesus Christ uh, to his followers. These are what Jesus Christ is telling his followers. That's a pivotal uh, aspect of their life. So if we look at the background of what's happening, Jesus is on the sermon. He's doing the Sermon on the Mount near the Sea of Galilee, which Jesus did quite a few of his sermons uh, in that same area right off the sea which is very nice. And uh, we know from the Hebrew scriptures that it was really about, again, teaching the children of Israel how to be civil with each other and how to recognize God. And so in the Ten Commandments, if you remember the Ten Commandments, the first few commandments was always about God. It says, you should not have no other God before me. And this is Exodus chapter 20, where God teaches them, the children of Israel said, this is my commandments. You're out away from Egypt. No other God before me and don't make any idols. So one and two is very similar. Then he says, number three, don't take my name in vain. So the first two is about don't have any other God before me. This means don't make any idols. And then it says, don't take my name in vain. So you see the first three is God is telling you what you need to be doing. So it's like an external. He's not telling you what you necessarily need to be thinking, but he's telling you what you need to be doing. And subsequently, the rest of the commandments is about the civil relationship between uh, us, the people, how we work together, and in terms of how you treat your parents, keep the Sabbath day, these are things you need to do. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie on your neighbor, and don't covet your neighbor's stuff. And so, again, this is about the external behavior. What he does differently, this is what we find in the Old Testament. So it was about you don't do this, and you don't do that. And then you see the Beatitudes take a different approach, sort of a positive sense, telling you the virtues of the life that lead you to reward. 
So then the Beatitudes focus on humility, charity, brotherly love. So Jesus Christ is teaching us the transformation of our inner self during this period in time. This is unheard of. Why? Because if you recall the history of 30 AD, this is about the time Jesus is teaching the first century, 30 AD, this mean after his, they used to mean that it's called, they changed that now. But 30 AD is he's alive at this point and they estimate 30 years old or something like that. And then they're doing that Roman occupation in Palestine. So the Romans are in charge. And so they were, they're actually servants. They weren't the only servants, but the Romans are the world power. So they're in charge. So during this time, you notice those four major uh, Jewish groups. So the four major Jewish groups is, remember, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots, all of whom presented a different viewpoint of Hebrew. So this is where Jesus Christ is presenting during the time of these four key major uh, religious groups in Judaism. This is real important. So, you know, the Pharisees demanded a strict observance to the Mosaic law, the Torah, they call it. And so they were into the oral tradition of the Jewish custom and the rituals, a.k.a. the Ten Commandments on all the regulation and rules. These are the Pharisees. The Sadducees were similar, except that they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. So they didn't believe in the resurrection, but they believe in a similar tradition. They came from the priestly line, uh, like the Levites, uh, and accepted the law of Moses and rejected oral traditions. And so the difference between the Sadducees, of course, the major difference is the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in the, the resurrection. And the monastic Essenes awaited the Messiah that established a kingdom on earth and freed the Israelites from oppression. This is what the disciples expected. They expected, even Philip says, at this point in John chapter 14, he says, are you going to restore Israel to where they were? Because they were expecting Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom on earth and overthrow the Roman government. And the zealots were zealous, and that's where the word zealous comes from, were militant Jewish group who wanted freedom for their homeland and were centered in Galilee. And as we recall, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ was a zealot. And you know, there were two named Simon, Simon Peter, considered the rock or stone. And there was another Simon, which was Simon the zealot. And he was part of this militant group that really wanted to take arms and take down the Roman government. So it's during this time, and it was all about uh, them basically waiting for this Messiah that would free them from this oppression. And these are the four major religious groups during this time of the Messiah. And then you see here that Jesus Christ comes out and does something completely opposite to what's expected. He announces that the followers need to understand this, that we're looking at your a future kingdom and we're looking at an internal transformation. Again, internal transformation means, goes back again, to transforming your thinking. And he's concentrating on humility, charity, and brotherly love. And you can see that throughout these Beatitudes. So Jesus provides this way that promises us salvation. And he also brings peace in the midst of trials and tribulations on earth. And this is what these Beatitudes are uh, discussing. And so we're going to go into detail each Beatitude, and then we're going to look at uh, Beatitude, at least get started on the Beatitude uh, today. But as you can see here, Jesus Christ is in a time 
when he had to speak something that's totally different from anything they've ever heard. What a phenomenal teacher and uh, an, an innovator in changing the whole direction of the thinking of the people of that time because they're looking only for one way. Their expectations from Isaiah was not what Jesus Christ had presented. And uh, so we look there and we say, okay, so what is this uh, poor in spirit? Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 4. If you look at that on your sheet uh, for a second, let's just look at these three translations. And the reason why I gave the three is because I thought it was interesting how they illustrated uh, the same narrative, uh, the same communication on the litany here from the scriptures. You can see poor in spirit. So poor in spirit uh, to us always means somebody that in general is downtrodden. And I like how the message says that you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. And so being at the end of your rope is pretty uh, a bad place because what happens when you're at the end of your rope, you eventually will let go of the rope. And that is like suicide. You let go and you just drop. You completely out of it. And I was sharing a story with Keith the other day about when I was in a class, um, I was in a class called Addictions, so they were teaching us how to listen to people with addictions in this counseling class I was taking. And so I visited uh, several AA, which is Alcohol Anonymous uh, groups and ministries. I actually went and visited and and wrote a document uh, on that, a couple of reports on it. But through that, listening to this one woman really caught my ear is because she said something that I thought was really interesting. She said what she didn't believe that she had a problem, which is always a challenge for people that's addicted to drugs and alcohol and eating and various other addictions. And she said that it didn't dawn on her and that she had a problem until one night she woke up and she was in an alley in Houston. And she said she saw rats running through the alley and roaches was running around her feet and her hand. And she was so drunk and intoxicated that she had been in that state. But she woke up and she said, what in the world are you doing? She called her name out. She said, what's wrong with you? You must be, uh, she was cussing, <laughs> you must be crazy. She said, you're at the end of your rope. And this is the end of the rope. I need to do something. And then she remembered uh, having attended church that she needed to go and, and ask God to help her. And she got herself out of the alley, stumbled home and she got into this uh, women's facility that I was visiting. And then from there, her life changed because the 12 steps is all aligned with God, the creator, and how God will help you uh, through an internal change. But the point being that this person was at the end of their rope and the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is given to them. And this says in the TLB, it says, humble men are very fortunate. Uh, he told them, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. So he used the illustration of a humble uh, man. And then um, in the verse, the message says, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. And this is for people uh, who, of course, are Christian. And when you are in the state of addiction and you recognize it, there's a humiliating uh, effect to that. It's that you're helpless as God's word. There's another translation called God's word translation. He says, blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. And so this young lady recognized that she was missing something. There was something inside of her missing and she sought what she remembered from her mind that there would be help. And she reached out for help 
in which they touched her and her relationship with God is reignited. Of course, people that have an addiction to alcohol and various other drugs or challenges, challenged addictions, need help, need human help to help them. And that's what this program did. She stayed in this uh, women's facility and uh, people come in and uh, Christians come in and help to mentor them and various other things like that. But the idea here is you got to recognize how helpless you are. You are you at the end of your rope as a saint. And what this what Jesus Christ is illustrating is for this first century Christian, because they were at the end of their rope, not because of at this time Christianity, because it hadn't really gotten started at this point, but because of the Roman occupation. Because remember, everybody, almost everybody was a slave to the Romans. Most people were slave to the Romans. They use a nice word service, but they were slave to the Romans. The, the Romans can get them to do whatever they wanted. So people were at the end of their rope because of the fact that they were missing meals. They could snatch your kids and put them into service, into the palace. Uh, and this has been going on for centuries. And all the things that were happening to the Jewish people, and uh, sometimes they would, if they didn't like how the Jewish people were worshiping, I think Pilate had destroyed their, their, their little place of worship. And so all kind of negative things were happening. So it, it affected their spirit. They felt helpless. You didn't feel like you're a child of God because they're praying all the time and nothing is happening. And so then Jesus Christ comes along different from the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Essenes and the Zealots and say, hey, you are fortunate. When this is happening, when you're at the end of your rope, when this horrible stuff is happening, just because the Roman is in occupation, don't 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 let that concern you too much because the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. It belongs to everyone that's humble, who loves God, who knows God. You're fortunate because the kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom of God, that means you are participants in this kingdom that God speaks about, that Jesus Christ initially talked about. When he first started his ministry, he said the kingdom of God is near. It's all about building up people to be a part of this kingdom. So that's the first aspect, looking at the poor in spirit. So we can turn that inward and say, when we experience this level of being end of our rope because of circumstances in our job, because of circumstances with our family, because of circumstances with our church, when you feel helpless, and that drain aspect, when you, you're humble, you're humiliated because things are not as they were before the pandemic financially or mentally or physically, you may have changed and, and gone down. He says, you know what? You're fortunate because things will go awry on the planet Earth. But remember, the kingdom of heaven is given to you. And uh, the second aspect of this, as Christ moves on, he says, oh, by the way, if you mourn, be fortunate. Because they were mourning. They were being killed left and right. They were enslaved left and right. They were beaten and left for dead. Remember, there's no penicillin. So if you got beaten, more than less, you would probably die if you were of any weakened state. So he says, look, he says, those who mourn are fortunate, but they shall be comforted. And I like how, again, the Message says, he says, you are blessed when you feel like you're lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. And so then he puts a spin on it. Eugene Peterson does. He says, you're blessed when you feel like you're lost. 
And a lot of times when we mourn, mourning is not just about someone that dies, but mourning happens when you are saddened and disgusted by life. You mourn the loss of your job. You mourn the loss of you lost your house. You mourn the loss of a relationship in your marriage. And the Bible says you will be comforted. And what does he mean by that? Why would he use that type of terminology? And he uses the same word Jesus does that he does in John chapter 14 when God talks about uh, the fact Jesus Christ says God talks about the fact that he's leaving them. And then uh, Philip says, are you going to restore us to our, our same level as Israel? And he says, no, I'm going away. And then subsequently in verse 26, uh, Jesus Christ says, but when the father sends the comforter, Instead of me, and by the comforter, I mean the Holy Spirit, he will teach you much as well as remind you of everything I myself have told you. So in essence, Jesus Christ is setting the followers of, of himself, which is disciples, setting them, up to, setting them up to understand that when you mourn, and they will mourn, because when he dies, of course, they're going to mourn. They're going to mourn because they don't know what to do next. They're mourning because they're in a they're slaves of the Romans. And they're um, despondent. They're saddened by that. So the mourning is taking place on every level. They mourn it on every level. But he says, you will be comforted. And this comfort is in the future uh, in terms of what they call the future end times. But it also for us is in the short term future that you will be comforted. And because now we have the Holy Spirit, as Jesus Christ illustrated in John chapter 14, he introduced them to the Spirit, but we know we have the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus Christ breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit resides in each one of us. So therefore, he says, be happy because you are comforted by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, we don't need to mourn and be sad as people that don't have any hope when people die. Didn't he not say that in 1 Thessalonians? He actually told us that, you know, we don't have to do that as people that have no hope. And sometimes we mourn like people that have no hope when you lose something that you like. Uh, I remember losing a lot of money in the stock market <laughs> and I wasn't happy. I was mourning. And losing some loved ones, you're mourning when you lose loved ones and you're sad. And uh, so when you're mourning, you, you don't feel good about it. And then in the first century, when Paul was talking to the church of Thessalonica in chapter four, he said, we don't have to mourn like other people. We can be comforted because we know the, the one that's dear to us. So if you if you recall 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I think it's verse 13, 13 through 18 is one of those verses where it talk, Paul is talking about how they were afraid of people that were dying and they were mourning for them. The mourning was probably a, a regular part of their life because they had a really difficult existence, the Jewish people did, and the poor people did. The poor people were the masses. And so Jesus Christ is reminding us through these first two, which we covered, and he's reminding us that, hey, don't worry about that. Don't be concerned about these things. You have more than you think you have. And a lot of times we think we have nothing. Don't worry about things that are going wrong in your life. Unanswered prayer, God not meeting expectations. Uh, your spirit is down. You feel empty and drained. Uh, devoid of life. He said, but you need to be humble. You need to humble, submit yourself to God that God will lift you up. And this is what Jesus Christ is teaching 
his disciples because, see, they were poor in spirit again. They had a lot of challenges. And he says, when you mourn, you're sad. But understand that you sh- the, the only thing you should be mourning about would be the fact that Jesus Christ had to die uh, for us because of sin. We should be mourning about our sin and not about the circumstances and asking God forgiveness for our sin. But you can see where uh, Paul is is teaching us uh, through the scriptures and, and Jesus Christ is teaching us more in particular that mourning is a part of this existence. You're going to mourn, but guess what? Out of that mourning, you get something uh, wonderful, and that is you will be comforted. So if you look at the first thing that starts off, you, you, you're miserable in spirit, you're making everybody miserable around you, and which is what we unfortunately do sometimes when things just go wrong. Instead, he says you need to, you're blessed, you're not at the end of your rope, you, you just seem spiritually helpless, you need to reach up to God, and guess what? The kingdom belongs to you because you belong to God. And these are for the people who belong to God, who have confessed that Jesus Christ is their King and their Lord. And things are going to happen in life to make you sad, like the pandemic, like the loss of life through the pandemic. If there's no pandemic, there's still loss of life. And this saddens us uh, greatly. But God is still who God is. God has his long-term plan for all of our lives. But through Jesus Christ's teaching, he wants us to understand as followers that we have the, these blessings that are fortunate for us when we have these negative experiences, uh, meaning poor in spirit experience and mourning experience. And if I have a few more minutes, <laughs> I'll talk about the uh, verses five and six. Let's do those quickly and then we'll continue with the rest uh, next week. So let's look at Matthew 5, verses 5 through 6. And again, think about how you answered about how Christianity is working for you and how Jesus Christ is presenting the blessed part, the fortunate part of being a Christian. Then again, he looks at verse chapter verse chapter 5, verse 5. He says, the meek and the lowly are fortunate for the whole wide world belongs to them. And you said, the whole wide world? He said, the whole wide world. In the message, he says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. I love the way he says that. You're proud owners of what cannot be bought. You cannot buy the earth. You can only inherit it. <laughs> inherit the earth from God. They will inherit the earth if you're blessed, if you're gentle. If you're the kind of Christian that's not prideful, always talking about the great things you have, how great you are, and all the accolades that people elevate you and people are on a pedestal. If you're the leader of the church, leader on your job, leader in your house, and it's always about how great you are. Instead, he says, you need to humble yourself and be meek-like. And then the, the, sometimes they call that gentle, the gentle attitude, the attitude of kindness. And uh, instead, people, uh, sometimes they're disgusted with life, and they take that out on other people, and they act very prideful. But Jesus Christ is saying, no, what you need to do is be content with who you are. You're blessed. You should be fortunate. Count your blessings and be thankful for who you are. And then he says, in verse 6, he says, those of you that's living your life righteous, doing what God wants. Happy are those who long to be just and good, verse 6 says. You long to be just Give justice and to good. 
and to be good, that means to do good works, they shall be completely, he says, satisfied in the TLB. And then in the message, he says, you're blessed when you work up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you've ever had. But he says something interesting. He says, you work up a good appetite for God. And this is something you do when you have more than a three-factor prayer life and three-factor Bible study, is you're working up this appetite. You, you, you thirst for God, as the psalmist said, I, I thirst for you. And so you're looking and you're excited. You're expressing the fruits of the Spirit. You just love everything about living the righteous life before God. So you're happy because you're pursuing the things that's important to God, the righteousness, the faith. And as God's word translation said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's approval. They will be satisfied. So you hunger and thirst because you're pleasing God. And without faith, we know we can't please him. So you're working that faith. You're working that appetite. You're feeding that new nature constantly because you only want to please God and you're seeking his righteousness. What's important to God and you're doing the good works that's important to God. You're demonstrating the fruits of the spirit, which is important to God. And all of this lines up with Jesus saying, these are things to the first century group that we need to be happy about, followers. All disciples, you need to be content and happy because you're fortunate. You're fortunate because the meek will get this entire planet because Revelation speaks to that. He said this entire planet is going to be ours. We're going to be judging uh, folks in the end. And so he's talking about the future hope in terms of inheriting earth. But he says, if you are kind, if you are meek, if you're, you're not prideful, you're going to inherit the earth. This is huge because you didn't invest in the earth and you're going to inherit it. And so it can't be bought. It's inherited. I like how that message. You can't buy it. You can only inherit it through your relationship with Jesus Christ. No relationship with Jesus, you will not inherit the earth. And guess who did not inherit the earth? The enemy did not inherit the earth. You inherited the earth. And that's wonderful news for us. And then he says the righteousness, those that seek righteousness, you're seeking God's approval. You hunger, you thirst to please God. And this is how you have continued right standing with God, a right relationship with God, and you love him. And so next week class, we're going to look at the rest of this lesson and see again how we move from the Beatitudes to the me attitudes. This concludes a Mind Booster podcast. Go to PrayTube.net to listen to the entire series and to receive free resources associated with each podcast teaching.